We're going through Genesis on Sunday mornings. We're currently in chapter 2, where last week we began considering the first marriage. Today and maybe next week, it'll all kind of blend together. Genesis chapter 2, let's begin by reading verses 18 through 25. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. May God help us to hear what he has to say this morning. Having completed creation week, at the end of chapter 1, God saw everything he made, and he said it was very good, and it was. It was perfect. What we read here in verse 18, God said it is not good. Did God immediately call that which He called good not good? Well, remember that Genesis 1 and 2 both are the creation account. Chapter 1 is a broad view. Chapter 2 zooms in mainly on on Adam and Eve. And so what we're seeing here is when God said it is not good in chapter 2, it's fitting the chronology of chapter 1. Over there in verse 27 in chapter 1 it says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So both Adam and Eve were created on day six of the first week. So when God says in verse 18, it's not good that the man should be alone, we're now back on day six. I just wanted to clear up any confusion. Some people get really confused by chapter two. God has not yet declared it very good, but according to the flow of chapter one, he will do so after mankind is created, after he created woman for man. Well, we consider some thoughts last week surrounding the first husband and wife. When God said it was not good for man to dwell alone, uh, He said that He was going to create for Adam and help meet. But before God did, He had Adam name the animals. And this seemingly strange move by God evidently was to serve the purpose to show Adam He needed someone after His kind. The animals certainly didn't fit that. There was no fellowship there. And so God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you somebody. But He wanted Adam to come to be aware of his need because at the end of verse 20, after He names the animals, we read in verse 20, but for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. Now I want us to take note, I mentioned this last week, but I want to build upon it. I want us to take note of how God saw Adam's need before Adam knew there was a need. It was God who said it is not good for man to be alone. Also notice that it is going to be God who is going to meet that need. As Adam names the animals, he he becomes aware 
The animals had others of the same kind, but Adam doesn't have anybody of the same kind. Adam not only needed companionship, but he needed someone who would complete him. He needed someone who would be a helpmeet to him. He needed someone to help him, to surround him, to be there for his support and for his benefit. But Adam wasn't trying to take care of this need on his own because he couldn't. Amen. So God had Adam go into a deep sleep. God is going to take care of Adam's need. And what better way for God to show Adam that Eve was his completer than to take from Adam to make Eve? God, He takes a rib from Adam's side, close to Adam's heart, and He made a woman. Since woman was taken from man's side, the husband should always keep his wife close to his side. Close to his heart. And since woman was taken from man, that is where she needs to stand, and that is where she will find fulfillment in life, is from the side of man. That was all last week, and I know I touched on, on some of that. Um, about waiting for God, but let's, let's, for the sake of our singles this morning, let's take the first half of this message. For those who may be heading for marriage, let's dig deeper into this thought of how God is going to bring somebody into your life that He intends for you to have. So listen, if you're a child, if you're a teenager, if you're an adult and you're single, if you're not married and you desire to be, I want you to listen. God will take care of that need in your life. Don't try to fulfill that desire on your own. There's a reason the world sings looking for love in all the wrong places. Because they do. They're trying to fulfill their desires on their own and it only leads to heartaches and heartbreaks. Please don't rush into what will be the biggest decision of your life outside of salvation. Don't grow impatient. Don't take the first person who comes along and shows you attention. Gives you interest. Because there's a lot of rats and brats out there looking to take you down. They want to take advantage of you. They want to rob you of your purity. They, They want you to be more drawn to the lust of your flesh than you are to the things of God. If you don't wait on God, then marriage will never be what you hoped it would be. I want you to get this statement. It is better for you to want what you don't have than to end up having what you don't want. I said that a little harsh, didn't I? It is better for you to want what you don't have than to end up having what you don't want. Wait for God's choice. I know some singles who can testify that while they want to be married, They are sure glad in hindsight that God kept them from marrying someone they had no business being with. They can say that because the disappointment of not being married is far less than if they would have hurried up and married that guy. You're better off just to go to sleep as it were. Let God take care of who you need in your life than for you to take matters into your own hands and end up living a miserable life. Well, that's great, preacher, but how am I supposed to know when God has brought that special someone into my life just for me? Great question. If you'll let me this morning, I want to try to be a help. Because you don't want to end up in a terrible marriage. Trust me. I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> that was stupid. Strike that from the record, amen. You don't want to end up in a terrible marriage. You want God's choice. You know what you want? You want a verse 23 experience. Would you look at that real quick? And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That's what you want. You say, well, what does that mean? That phrase is an expression in the Hebrew language, meaning she is an extension of my body. She is bone of my bones. She is flesh of my flesh. Adam knew that Eve was his completer. And, and I, I believe that God has a direct counterpart Amen. for every man and every woman that He calls into marriage. So what is this going to look like? Well, understand that you've been created with a body and a soul. Once you're in Christ, your spirit is made alive. You become a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. Your body is your physical senses as it relates to this material life. Your soul is your heart made up of your mind and your emotions, and it relates to people. Your spirit is those spiritual senses, you walking with God, that part of you which has been made righteous by Christ. And obviously your spirit relates to God. Now, How do you know when you have bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh? When do you know you have your completer, your counterpart? First, you need to be doing what we've already covered. Realize God saw your need before you ever knew it. Amen. Then, when that desire from God awakens to be married, recognize it is God who has made you aware of that need. And then you go to sleep. You rest. Don't try to force it. Amen. And then one day, miraculously as it would seem, as you are focused on God, as you are running your race Amen. with God, you'll look up over there and there she is. Amen. I have to say these things these days. There she is if you're a guy. Amen. Or there he is if you're a girl. Amen. Both of you are going to match in body, soul, and spirit perfectly. They will be bone of your bones and they will be flesh of your flesh. In the area of the body, there will be a physical attraction between each other. There will be that romantic spark. Now, don't try to treat this like Emperor's New Groove and trot out the ladies <laughs> and just start making your pick off of these very superficial things. Look, I'm trying to lighten it up, okay? But it will be of God. Uh, it, it's not just lust alone. In the area of the soul, you'll be able to communicate on the same wavelength, you'll be soulmates, if you will. Not just a physical attraction, but there's going to be a connection mentally and emotionally. And then in the area of the Spirit, there will be spiritual unity. Your love for the Lord, your commitment for the Lord, your involvement with the Lord, and your service to the Lord will be equal. When your body, soul, and spirit all align together, then I believe God has led you to the right one. And I can't explain it, but you will know it when it happens. Amen. We told Sydney, and we're still trying to assure our three boys, that why I know it sounds strange, you'll know it when you're with the one that God has for you. Amen. 
Now, let me tell you where people go wrong. They only settle for one or two of these areas. They don't patiently wait for that one who's connecting all around. You see, anybody can connect physically. And I think there's enough said there for you to know what I mean. That's easy. It's easy for two people to connect on the physical level, but maybe never connect in their soul and in their spirit. And if you base your relationship solely off the physical, listen, you're heading for disaster. You can connect with someone in your soul, but there may not be a romantic connection or a spiritual connection. And you might connect with someone on a spiritual level, but there's no physical connection or a connection to the soul. This is simple enough, right, so far? But typically people won't enter into marriage with just one connection point. So where's the difficulty? Here it is. Many people in their haste or in their ignorance because they've never been taught, no one's helped them along. They settle for only two out of the three and they jump into marriage. Now listen, we weren't putting it in these terms when we first met our spouse, most likely. But I'm sure you can see it as we talk about it. They sense that there is a romantic connection between the two of them. And spiritually, they may both know that they love the Lord. They go to church, they pray, they read their Bibles. So they they see there's a body connection, there's a spiritual connection. But when it comes to the soul, well, that's another story. He likes steak and she's a vegetarian. Like in the pita kind of way, you know what I'm saying? Did I just offend somebody? I'm sorry. She likes the mall. He likes backpacking. She likes to talk and he wishes she would shut up. You're not connecting at the soul level. There's just a disconnect there. Your mind and your emotions are not connecting. There's the connection bodily, there's a unity spiritually, but in the area of the soul, you're just two different people. You with me? And those two people say, well, we can make it work. And yes, you can make it work, but it's going to be work to make it work. Others may say, in the area of the soul, we're great friends. We can talk all day. We like hanging out together, and if the mall isn't your thing, it becomes your thing because you're with them. Football may not be her thing, but she just likes being with you anyway, and you two just like hanging out. There's a definite soul connection there. And spiritually, they both love the Lord. They're both committed to God. But in the area of the body, you just can't explain it. There's not a connection. And it's like you're with your brother or sister. Just got weird up in here, amen. (laughs) But we're great friends, and we're walking with the Lord together. Surely we can make it work. Yes, you can make it work, but it's going to take work to make it work. And here's the danger in settling in that kind of situation for all of you would-be prideful people that say, well, I don't need that romantic spark. I want to tell you the danger with that is Satan will bring somebody along who will ignite that spark. And that connection point you didn't have, it's going to be had in a way that it should never be. And there's going to be a difficulty in that marriage God never intended to be there. Others may say, well, there's a connection physically. There's an attraction. They're connected in their soul. They're great friends. They understand each other very well. They can enjoy each other's company. But spiritually, there's a problem. One feels called to be a missionary, and the other only wants to go to church on Christmas and Easter. Even though you can connect in the other two areas, when you're on two different levels spiritually, 
you're definitely going to have problems in your marriage because you're looking at God through two different lenses. When people settle for one out of the three, they're heading for major difficulties, and in the world, they're heading for divorce. When people settle for two out of the three, they can work on it, but it'll take work to make it work. But when people have three out of three, the body, soul, and spirit, then that's two people that God has definitely brought together for the purpose of marriage. Bodily, they can't stop making googly eyes at each other from across the room. Where am I at? I looked at my wife and now I'm flustered. The sparks will fly like the 4th of July when you're around them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, listen, there's that romantic spark. They are true soulmates. I mean, they're the very best of friends. They just love being together no matter what it is. And man, they're connected mentally and emotionally. And spiritually, they're, they're both in love with the Lord. They're seeking first the kingdom of God with the same intensity. And they intend to do so with fervency with the life that God gives them together. When all three of these are there, you have a match made by God. You'll have a Garden of Eden kind of relationship where it'll come into focus and you'll say, that's bone of my bones and that's flesh of my flesh. You have met your counterpart. They are an extension of you. It has to be of God. Then get married. Get married. I'm not a fan of long engagements for what it's worth. If you know it's God's will, do God's will. Parents and grandparents, you need to be teaching your children and your grandchildren that there's a better way to go about marriage than how the world tries to do it. There doesn't have to be all this trial and error with different people. You don't have to live together before marriage to see if it's a good fit. And you let that precious daughter of yours know that God saw her need before she did. But daddy, why do I feel this way? Because, honey, God is making you aware of a need. It's a need that He'd already saw in your life, and He's, he's bringing this attention to your life. Now go to sleep. Let patience have her perfect work. Let God bring that spouse into your life. Let God do the matchmaking. Your son has someone he's infatuated with, and he says, but I just have this passion to get married. You know guys, right? Yeah, I know, son. God is putting an awareness in you of a need that you're going to have. But go to sleep. Let God bring the right one to you. And then you need to tell that boy, you do some push-ups and you take a cold shower. You preserve that purity. Somebody say amen right there. That's what you got to do, amen? You better work that out some other way. If you're still single, don't get ahead of God. He knows your need and He's going to meet that need. Don't settle and say, well, you know, two out of three, that ain't bad. I can cultivate that third one along. I want you to hear me well. You're heading for problems, troubles, and difficulties along the way if you take that approach. You wait until all three are in place. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to cultivate an area in their life to bring them to match yours. You won't have to force it, but all three will already be in place. And while there's going to be ups and downs in every marriage, I'll promise you that that marriage who waited for their spouse from God is going to be on a firmer foundation when they're starting. And if you'll cleave to one another, like in verse 24, and you'll truly become one flesh, it'll be like verse 25 where you can be naked without shame, meaning 
You can be totally open with one another without restraint. And you can enjoy one another to the fullest degree in every way that God meant it to be. Some of you may be thinking, well, that's great, preacher, but uh, I could have used that advice 25 years ago. And now I'm married to somebody I don't really want. No one ever told me these things. What am I supposed to do now? Maybe you're married to someone and only one or two of those points are there and now you feel like you've settled. Maybe you feel like you've married the wrong one because marriage just hasn't worked out like you hoped. Maybe it's been more work than enjoyment and things seem like it's a disaster. What do you do now? Well, I want to quickly give you the account of a man in our Bible who knows what you're going through. And I want to tell you there's hope. There's hope. It can still work out for your good and God's glory. God can turn your marriage into a beautiful experience and a picture of Christ in the church. The account begins at the well near the town of Haran. Haran. The man's name is Jacob. The shepherds are beginning to arrive to the well. They're going to water their flocks for the day. But they're waiting for all the shepherds to arrive because taking that stone away, it's just too much work. It's easier just to wait till everybody's there. And as Jacob's hanging out near this well, he sees this woman heading to the well with his father's sheep. And the other shepherds tell him that's Laban's daughter. And Laban's the man that Jacob was going out there to look for. And Jacob, he's smitten by the love bug. Instead of waiting for all these shepherds to arrive, Jacob goes to the well and he shows off his strength. And he single-handedly rolls that stone away for Rachel. Nobody's, nobody's trying to impress their wife around here? Man, listen, I cut the grass and I'm like, Adrian, doesn't that yard look good? It's a riding mower, but still, give me some credit. He rolls that stone away. Rachel can water her flock. And after demonstrating his manliness, he then displays some tenderness. And Jacob kisses her and he begins to cry. Now, guys, I don't know if that's the best approach. (laughs) Now, he didn't romantically kiss her, okay? It was a customary way of greeting. Um, Laban's going to kiss Jacob when they meet, so it was a customary thing, Um, like it still is in in some parts of the Middle East. But, But anyway, he tells her that he's her father's sister's son. I don't know what that means in real terms. So while they return to Laban's house, right, they, they water the sheep. He's impressed this woman. He, 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 they, they go back to Laban's house. He's there for a month, and all the while he's falling more and more in love with Rachel. Long story short, Jacob, he offers uh, Laban to serve seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. That must have been some gal, amen. <laughs> the Bible says those seven years seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. Charity suffereth long. It beareth all things. It endureth all things. He had a deep love for Rachel. Well, the day for the wedding has finally come, and as was customary, 
for the marriages in those days. It was held at evening at night. And there's Jacob looking at his veiled bride. You know the account, right? After seven years of waiting, Jacob takes his bride to the tent and they consummate their marriage. But when he wakes up the next day, he wakes up the next day and in, in the light of the morning, he can't believe what has happened. Laban has given to Jacob Leah and not Rachel. Leah, the older sister. Jacob goes to Laban and he's got the wrong spouse. This is not who I wanted to marry. This is not who I think God had for me. But they're married now. What are you going to do? The Bible says in Genesis 29-17, Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. It's hard to know exactly what tender-eyed means. I, I won't get into all that now. But since it's listed as a comparison to Rachel's beauty, we can probably conclude that Leah was not too pleasant to look at. There was not a romantic spark. <laughs> Understandably, Jacob, he voices his frustrations, right? Laban tells Jacob, he gives him some story, you know, it's not customary in our land for the, the younger to marry before the, the older. And so you're stuck with Leah, buddy. So they agree, I'll work another seven years for Rachel. And he does. Now Jacob has these two wives. Leah the old maid and Rachel the knockout. The Bible says that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And it says right after that, and God saw how Leah was hated. These are two spouses that didn't want to be together, at least on one part. And, and, and the Bible says that after the seven years of Jacob being married to Leah, that is seven years at least that Leah was in a marriage to a man who hated her, did not love her. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Talk about feeling like you've married the wrong person. Another long story short that I don't have time to get into, a baby battle ensues between Leah and Rachel. Leah's fruitful, Rachel's barren. Eventually, Rachel does give birth, but she'll only give birth to two children because she'll die in giving birth to Benjamin. And with a broken heart, Jacob buries Rachel, the wife of his love, outside of the little town of Bethlehem. But he's still married to Leah the wife he never wanted in the first place. But life goes on, doesn't it? Years go by. They stay married. And now please turn to Genesis 49. Here in Genesis 49, we'll find Jacob blessing his 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. We don't know when, but we know Leah has now passed as well. She's buried in a place called Machpelah. These sons gather around Jacob. He pronounces blessings upon them while he's on his deathbed. And I want you to get Jacob's last request to his 12 sons. Look at verses 28 through 31. 
And these all are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is it that their father spake unto them and blessed them. Everyone according to his blessing, he blessed them. And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abram, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. And there they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. This is absolutely amazing. Here's a man that for at least seven years was stuck with a wife he didn't want. Never agreed to. He hated her. He didn't love her. He loved Rachel so much more. And, and now this time has gone by. One would think you, you get to the end of Jacob's life and he's going to say, bury me with Rachel. Bury me along the way to Ephra there near Bethlehem. Bury me with my wife, Rachel. But that's not his request. And Jacob says, I want you to bury me in Machpelah with my wife Leah. I choose to be buried with Leah. How can this be? As his life is lived out, he wants to be buried with a wife who, when they started out, he felt it was a mistake. The wife who he initially despised and hated being married to. What happened along the way to cause Jacob's heart to turn towards Leah? It would definitely take far more time than I have to get into But in this chapter, Jacob will say of Judah that the scepter would not depart from him nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall be the gathering of the people. Shiloh is the promised Messiah. And it was Leah who gave birth to Judah. Judah means celebrated or praised. And from Judah would come the Lord Jesus Christ, the celebrated one all the Old Testament saints longed for and sought for. Jacob had come to learn just how blessed Leah was of the Lord. Are you hearing me? He didn't see it at first. But he's come to realize Leah was a blessed woman. And how Jacob now, he was blessed to be the father of Judah as a result of being married to this woman that he never wanted. Now he wants to be buried with the wife who was in the lineage of the Son of God. What am I getting at? Jacob came to know the one who he needed to seek after. The the one who he needed to learn to lean upon and that was God. He stayed with his wife. And as a result, both of them would be greatly blessed by God. And that spouse that you say bodily, soul, and and spirit, it wasn't there when I got married. And, and, And maybe I should have known better. I didn't see it then, but now I know now after the fact. I want you to understand this morning that that God will use that spouse to bring you closer to God. Closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you said, I do, that spouse became God's perfect spouse for you. 
even though she may not be all that you wanted, and even though he may break your heart, from your marriage will come the one that you are seeking for, the one that you are learning to walk with and lean upon, the one you're to seek more than anybody else. Just like from Leah came the one who was sought for. So from your marriage, you will learn to seek God in ways you never would have in an ideal marriage. You're going to have to talk with the Lord, walk with the Lord, and depend on the Lord. Maybe you didn't get it the first seven years, like Jacob, or or whatever the year is in your marriage. Maybe you didn't get it at first. But as the years go by, and as time begins to unfold, you begin to understand and see how God has used that marriage to make you see Christ. To make you see Jesus in ways you would have never done otherwise. Thanks to Leah. Staying with her. Thanks to not giving up on her. Thanks to making it work you can now see the wisdom of God in it all. If you don't close your heart, and if you don't turn your back and walk away from your spouse, if you will honor your covenant with God in your marriage, if you will embrace your spouse as God's plan for your life, then you'll say at the end of your days, bury me next to Leah. Bury me next to the one that God favored greatly in giving birth to Judah, which would lead to my Savior. Bury me next to the one who caused me to draw closer to my Lord and my God. I can see now, she sure was a blessed life, a blessed wife. And I want to tell you, boy, it's turned out to be a good life for me. It was a good deal for me. I didn't understand it, but now I do. I know some of you who have had very difficult marriages. But out of necessity, you've developed a deep and rich walk with the Lord. And now God is meeting that need. He's giving grace that never would have developed in your life in an easier, simpler marriage. I know people have stuck it out. And now they can say, if I had it to do over again, I would take her again. I would do it all over again. I would choose that same spouse again because they are the one that brought me close into a closer relationship with God. And I want to encourage you this morning, if at all possible, I, I know there's illegal, immoral, unethical. I know there's things. I know there's complex situations. I get it. But if at all possible, don't give up. Try to... Try to work it out. Don't throw your relationship away. Follow God's biblical plan for marriage and it'll be blessed. Try your hardest to stay married. Now, don't do so begrudgingly, amen? Well, I'm going to stay married, but we ain't never going to talk. Well, I'll stay married to him, but boy, he's going to be in misery the rest of his life because I'm going to bring up everything he ever did wrong 20 years ago all the time. Don't miss the point I'm getting at here. Embrace your spouse and say, Lord, this is my act of submitting to you by faith. This is my obedience to you. I will love and honor her or I will love and reverence him. I will cleave to my spouse 
Because from this relationship, Lord, I know you're going to be discovered in ways I never would have known. Don't give up. Take up your cross. Keep your word when you said for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor, until death do us part. And you will find Jesus is there to help. And here's what's exciting. You'll end up being an encouragement to future generations. Some of you are that generation where you said... All I've known in my past is divorce after divorce after divorce. And by God, we're going to put an end to it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Listen, if you've been through the pain of a divorce, you don't want your children going through that. Somebody say amen. Amen. And some of us are just going to have to man up and say, I am not going to give up. I gave my word. And you'll end up being an example to your kids. To our unmarried, don't take away from this that God's intention is to make your marriage miserable to drive you to Him. (laughs) That's not what God is, that's not what I'm getting at. But you can save yourself an awful lot of heartache if you'll wait for God's choice. He wants your marriage to be a bit of heaven here on earth. And if you end up in a Leah situation, God can work with that. He can turn your marriage into joy in what it should have been all along. Let's pray.